Today's episode of the Hail to the District podcast is brought to you by the Young Tennis Players Project, our presenting sponsor for 2018. The Young Tennis Players Project retails sports apparel, but with a unique twist. The majority of the proceeds goes towards helping young athletes receive hands-on tennis lessons and training, which can get very expensive, while the remainder actually goes back to the investors in a revenue-sharing opportunity for those who participate. And with no upfront costs, there's no risk. It's actually all upside. So to learn more, visit www.ytp.tennis, that's www.ytp.tennis, or just click on the link in our Friends and Sponsors section on the Hail to the District homepage. Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast with your host, Rajan Nanavati. Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast. I'm Rajan, and... I'm not even going to lie to you, right about now, we're in the NFL's version of the Hot Stove League, which is probably one of my favorite times of the year. You've got free agency getting underway, you've got draft talks starting to really heat up and become legitimate, so given all of that, I'm really, really pleased to be joined by Chad Forbes, whom you can find at the Twitter handle, at NFL Draft Bites, and he's becoming a really true source to be reckoned with on NFL Draft Twitter, as he's consistently providing fantastic behind-the-scenes information on NFL happenings and news and rumors, and all that fun stuff that us fans get off on. So, um, Chad, welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for joining. Roger, it's good to be speaking with somebody from old D.C. tonight. <laughs> Likewise. Um, so, let's. you've been tweeting out some awesome information over the last few months, and I could honestly have this conversation for a long time, but um, I at least wanted to kind of run through the latest buzz on some of the top 10 picks, some of the kind of picks that are really going to be the fulcrum, if you will, of the draft, and then we'll kind of uh, dovetail in the Redskins as the number 13 pick and some of the free agent targets that you have listed in your NFL, uh, in your free agency projection. So we'll go ahead and get started at the very top of the draft, obviously being number one overall with the Cleveland Browns holding the number one or top three pick yet again. Um, I was saying that I, I think it's really kind of the odds are still in the favor of them drafting a quarterback, be it Darnold. Um, I think Josh Allen is in the mix from my personal perspective. And then I think trading out or someone from the field, i.e. a Saquon Barkley or maybe even a Josh Rosen are in play there. But from someone who has more information than I do, how accurate do you think that is? And what do you think what's going on in their heads to the best of your knowledge at the moment? You know, I think the discussion about potentially going in a different direction at one is just fodder. I expect the Browns to go quarterback first overall and decide between Josh Allen and Sam Darnold. And if anybody talks about John Dorsey, I don't really know him, but the people that know him pretty well say in his past, he's favored the quarterbacks that are big, prototypical size, big hands and big arms, strong kids. And if you look at the physical profile, people just say he's going to be drawn to Josh Allen. But I'm personally more preferential towards Sam Darnold, the quarterback for the USA. Yeah, so it's interesting you say all that. So with Darnold not throwing at the combine, you know that there's a red flag, if you will. Although some a lot of people who are in the know say, "Look, that's not a big thing." I mean, you know, it is what it is. But in comparison to how Allen looked and him showing off that arm, and then there were reports that um, Darnold wasn't that great in uh, in interviews and the whiteboard. I think Mike Lombardi of the Ringer was one who kind of dropped that tidbit that he was kind of meh in you know in the behind the closed doors types of things. Um, given all that, how realistic do we really think it is that Josh Allen has a chance? I mean, he has a chance, but how realistic is it that he could go number one overall? You know, first of all, I think it's silly season. You know, you'll find somebody that says a negative thing about each one of these quarterbacks, and yep. some people say something positive, and you kind of got to read between the lines and make your own assertion, make your own kind of deduction. But uh, 
you know, I think that with the quarterback situation in Cleveland, they've brought in Tyrod Taylor. He's the bridge quarterback. And sitting there at one, you know, is Darnold a little immature? Yes, he's a 20-year-old kid. He's coming out as an underclassman, two-year starter. So, sure, is he, you know, is he a, little, uh, a little immature? I'd, I, yeah, I'd venture to take a guess he is. But I think all these kids are. And it's about getting to know each, each kid differently and figure out who clicks. You know, honestly, I thought I was the only one. So I, in my very, very, very amateurish draft scouting, I was kind of watching some clips of Darnold and stuff. And the thing that popped into my head, and I thought I was crazy when I honestly thought this, I'm like, you know, he really reminds me of a bigger Tony Romo and the way his elusiveness in the pocket, playmaking, I really like the way he keeps his eyes downfield. You know, makes a few errant throws that you're like, oh, you really shouldn't have done that. But like, it's just the way he's able to create in the pocket. And I think you dropped that comp and a, a couple other people right around there. I'm like, good, I'm not the only one losing my mind. So... Um, yeah, I, I personally, for whatever that's worth, I think Darnold's my number one quarterback in the draft, and it's not just groupthink. I like him the best. I think he's got the most important things. Um, but along the lines of quarterback, you mentioned that there could be, you know, there's an outside chance that a team could move up to potentially number one overall. Um, I think the Broncos have been mentioned. I think you mentioned them as well. How likely do you think it is that someone will pull the trigger to kind of leapfrog everybody else to get whoever they covet? Well, the first domino to fall is going to be where Kirk Cousins and potentially Drew Brees sign, and could they land in Denver. But if you just look at the way the board's kind of set up here, from one through six, right, with Cleveland picking twice, you have four teams that are definitely in the quarterback market, that being Cleveland, the Giants, Denver, and the Jets. But then if you look seven to ten, where it's Tampa, Chicago, San Francisco, and Oakland, those four teams are certainly not in the quarterback market this year. They have established quarterbacks. They just had disappointing seasons. And then right below them in that 11 to 15 range, and just this afternoon, Buffalo traded up to 12 in a trade with Cincinnati. Yep. You've got the three teams sitting there who could potentially move up either ahead of Denver or ahead of the Jets to get the quarterback of their choosing. Yeah. Um, so actually, let's move on to number two, because you touched on the Giants and you were talking about the teams kind of in the top five. Um, I I personally, based off all the scuttlebutt that I'm reading, I'm less and less inclined to think that new general manager Dave Gettleman is going to take a quarterback at two. Um, if it was me, I think Barkley is the guy for them. Um, I think my dark horse there is Bradley Chubb. I don't think Quentin Nelson, I mean, they could, but I think they're a shoe-in to get Andrew Norwell in free agency. I think you've mentioned that ad nauseum among other people. Um, but I, after what happened last year with you know them benching Eli Manning and then just kind of being a PR nightmare. I don't think them bringing in a guy, especially if someone as loquacious as Josh Rosen, who's going to be like, Hey, I want to play right now. And kind of having Manning potentially looking over his shoulder, um, you know, at a backup or whoever his replacement might be. I think it's going to be asking for another PR disaster. And Gettleman's been saying adamantly that he's the guy. So all that being said, I'm curious to get your thoughts as far as number two in the giants. Everything you hear coming out of the giants is they're comfortable with Eli Manning going forward. He's got a $5 million bonus due in a few days. They're going to pick up that option. But they're going to do their homework on all the quarterbacks in this draft. And if there's a guy or two that they love, they're going to take him. I think that some people have said Dave will take a quarterback because he's old school and you don't get up this high often. But it's just an interesting year because really if you look at most people's board, and I hate to go with the consensus, but most of the guys on top tens are at non-premium positions. There's a lot of off-ball linebackers. There's a running back. You know, and then there's the one pass rusher in Bradley Chubb. And then there's a guard in Nelson. So if you look at two, I think the Giants have to first look into trading down. Buffalo would make a lot of sense. And they've also got, they've really got to do their homework on all four of the quarterbacks and see if one of them could be the long-term answer 
after Eli's hung him up. Yeah, you were mentioning there's a little bit, or you're talking, I think it was more so with the Giants, but there's a, uh, the Colts rather, but there's a relationship between Brandon Bean and some of the GMs in the top five. And, you know, everyone saw the trade today with the swap of Cody, Cordy Glenn and, and, and their pick to move up to 12 with Cincinnati. But everyone's basically saying, this is just domino number one, if you will. It's, it's the second domino is going to fall. And they're going to, it kind of remind me what Philadelphia did with Carson Wentz that they went, you know, they went from like, what, 15 to eight to two or something along those lines. So I kind of feel like right. that's what they're going to do. Um, in your opinion, a lot of people think it's, well, I think I know who it is based off of draft Twitter and rumors, but who do you think they have if they move up to the top five? Who do you think they're looking for? Well, Buffalo certainly didn't move up to 12 because they want to trade up for a guard or a safety. Right. They're in the quarterback market. They just got rid of Tyrod Taylor, and I think you hit on it. This is just following the Philadelphia playbook. Get close, get closer, and then get your guy. I think if you really gave true serum to the guys in Buffalo, they love Josh Allen, they love Sam Darnold. I think it comes down to those two quarterbacks. I don't think they're infatuated with Josh Rosen. And Baker Mayfield, I, I just don't think he's in the same class as the other three. I think he's slightly below um, Darnold, Rosen, and Josh Allen. Yeah, so segueing actually into Josh uh, Josh Rosen, rather. Um, in your mock draft you published, I think it was a few week, couple of weeks ago in that neighborhood, you actually have the Dolphins trading up to go get Rosen. And um, I've read a few other people, uh, namely Benjamin Albright, who's a friend of the Hell to the District podcast as well, kind of saying the same thing. I'm not sure if it was more so of a they should do this versus they will do this, but there's a bunch of people who think that Miami, A, wants to move on from Ryan Tannehill and that, that, that train has sailed, if you will. Obviously, the Jay Cutler thing, there's not much left to that. Um, Mike Tannenbaum's a little bit of a riverboat gambler and in terms of what he's willing to do, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. But you think there's a legitimate chance we could see the Dolphins making moves? You know, back in 2000, I believe it was 2013 or 14, I think this was previous to Mike Tenenbaum's uh, presence in Miami, they moved up from 11 or 12 to 3 to draft Deion Jordan. And that kind of laid out a bit of a framework for what it would cost to make that kind of move. And, you know, at the Senior Bowl, at the Combine, they kept telling you that Ryan Tannehill's their quarterback. And that's great. He's probably a decent bridge quarterback if you can't move up for the guy you really covet. But Josh Rosen just seems to fit with me. He and Adam Gaze would seem to just mold together pretty well. He's NFL ready. And I just think that system under Adam Gaze would really work well for him. I think another thing which people kind of tend to overlook, especially given the way the NFL is, but I think Rosen would put butts in seats in Miami. And all Miami sports teams really struggle with simply getting fans into the stadium, especially when you've been mediocre for 25, 30 years like the Dolphins have. Like, I feel like Rosen would just be something that they could sell as well. And I think, um, you know, their ownership is very much like it's just as much about what they do off the field, if you will, uh, something Redskins fans are really familiar with, as you're doing on the field. Kind of like what they did with Sue, throwing way too much money at him, which obviously, you know, went in the other direction. They just released him. But, yeah. Well, tonight, tonight the Dolphins are having dinner with one Baker Mayfield, and he's apparently also on their quarterback wish list. And if you really want to put butts in the seats, he's the guy. And as I said a minute ago, I don't think he's in the same tier, the same class as Rosen, Darnold, and Allen. But if you're looking to generate a little bit of buzz, Baker Mayfield will bring it in spades. Yeah, Heisman Trophy winner, that'll do it. Plus, just his general cocksure it's attitude. Persona. You have Rosen, as you, I think you said, you, in terms of your pecking order, is Darnold, Allen, Rosen, and Mayfield. Is that accurate in terms of the way you look at the four? I think Darnold's the safest. Yep. I think the if you're looking for a safe quarterback can come in and play for you right away with some upside it's sam darnold josh allen i mean i said in the past and people have ridiculed for him ridiculed me for it his physical tools are actually better than carson wentz's when you look at his arm i completely agree 
and he's got the same frame. I think Rosen is just, he's, he reminds me a lot of Eli Manning coming out. He's a pocket quarterback. You're going to have to protect him. He can read through progressions and make most of the throws. He's not going to wow you with his arm talent, but he's got a great release and he's got great mechanics. And then Mayfield is just, he comes from a really a bit of a gimmicky offense. I mean, you can't find him on tape actually taking a drop back. Everything's out of play action or some sort of RPO. There's some concerns. You really have to tailor your offense to Baker Mayfield. Where Josh Rosen, I think you could put him into an NFL offense tomorrow and he'd get it. How much do you worry about the idea of what everyone's saying about Rosen that he's too I don't want to use the word diverse or too, you know, opinionated or whatever, but he's just he's not gonna be the one who toes the company line or says the politically correct thing for every single thing. And some people, especially in a somewhat conservative league, everyone's like, nah, I don't know, you know, his his political stance, we won't even dive into that, but it's contrary to what some team owners are are tend to favor and all those things. And, you know, he's he's a little more ready to speak his mind, which rubs some people the wrong way. And I'm just curious to get your thoughts on whether you think that's all bullshit or whether you think that's a legitimate thing. Early in the process, when he got to UCLA, the scouts that went through there didn't have anything kind to say about his personality and how he was as a teammate. And then I think the agents who kind of pick up a lot of their information from those scouts and that's how they do their recruiting. They all started to say the same things to people, you know, not not publicly, but if you spoke to them off the record, they'd tell you what they really thought of Josh Rosen. And none of them were giving him ring endorsements character-wise. I don't get to sit down with Josh Rosen and really pick his brain. What I like to do is you know, every quarterback prospect, I think every prospect goes to Indianapolis and they have a 15-minute session with the media. Yep. You get to watch that and kind of see what the kid's like and try to get a feel for him. I mean, it's not perfect, but you know, I thought he was pretty honest in his interview. I think he's a really smart kid, but I think Michael Michael Lombardi put it best. He's got to get away from the stigma of being a three-car garage kid. And he grew up with money, and that's, you know, frowned upon by some people. They think, does he want it enough? Is football important to him? And I think from what you heard in Indianapolis, most people came across pretty positive in their reviews of Josh Rosen. And uh, he might not be a fit for every organization, every fan base, but I think in Miami he'd be a great fit. Yeah, do you think Adam Gase is the type of coach? I mean, I know Adam Gase is he's a younger coach. He's a kind of, I want to say, for lack of a better term, cerebral in the way that he's approaching everything, more of a modern coach, for lack of a better description again. Adam, Adam Gase is definitely an innovative, young offensive mind, and I think what people didn't give him enough credit for when he got there is he's a tough SOB. And uh, what they say about Rosen is he wants, and this is what Trent Dilfer says, he's worked with him a lot for the Elite 11 camp, yep. is Josh Rosen wants to be coached. He wants the information. He's got a little bit of that Aaron Rodgers personality, and sometimes he might rub you the wrong way, but you know that, that's just who he is, and he's not going to change that. And you've got to get comfortable with the fact that you know he's not going to be uh, you know an Eli Manning, oh shucks, and everything's groovy type guy. At times, there's going to be you know there's going to be some emotion, and you got to be able to manage it. Yeah. Going back, you said Aaron Rodgers. Nothing popped into my head, but um, you know, people were saying that like is comparing Josh Allen to um, Carson Wentz and stuff like that. And your point that he's more physically gifted than Carson Wentz. Uh, to me, I think the best comp, and I get really irritated when people make like the same race comp, like every white slot receiver is Wes Walker and things like that, and every big black quarterback <laughs> is whatever. Like that kind of rubs me the wrong way. So like I, I almost tend to be like a contrarian in that sense. And Josh Allen, in a lot of ways, he's not nearly as mobile and didn't run the same college offense, but from a physical profile, he reminds me of Cam Newton, to be completely honest with you. Um, I've heard, I've heard that cop physically. Um, I mean, I think my, my opinion, when he walks into the league, it's going to be between Josh Allen, Cam Newton, and maybe Aaron Rodgers in terms of who has the strongest arm in the NFL. Like the day he walks in, like he's just Howard Sir is probably an understatement in terms of the way that ball comes out of his hands. But, and I'm curious to get your thoughts. Um, it's just the accuracy is all over the damn place. You know, it is. And, you know, he's working on that. He's working on his mechanics and his footwork. And 
you know, tying his eyes to his feet. But, you know, the other comparison I've heard is Dan Marino coming out of pit. And he fell a bit in the draft after a really disappointing senior season. And it was the same questions about his accuracy. And there were some off-field, I would say, rumors with Marino that really kind of rubbed people the wrong way. Though you don't have those with Josh Allen, but it was a disappointing year for Josh Allen. You know, he didn't deliver on the hype, and people thought he was going to be the first overall pick, and they're tantalized by all of his physical tools. But ultimately, the tools have to turn into production. And that didn't happen this year. And so you have to answer that question. You have to get comfortable with the fact that you know, you're drafting a guy who had a pretty disappointing season statistically, and you got to figure out why. And, and some people who really know the quarterback position, they're comparing him to Kyle Bowler. And that's got to scare you, but yeah. you've also got to trust yourself and say, we could take a kid with this type of talent. Maybe it'll take a little bit of time, which if it's going to take time, then you're going to need one of these bridge quarterbacks. But we could turn him into the next Carson Wentz. As soon as I saw Wentz get on one knee and th- try to throw the ball through the goalpost, I'm like, we saw this 10 years ago. We literally saw the exact same thing. We all started going gaga 10 years ago over Kyle Bowler. And I'm like, have we learned nothing? I mean, just from that perspective, like, we, I, I, not anything else, but I'm like, from an apples to apples comparison, like, we can't lose our mind over the fact that someone can kneel on the 50 and throw the ball through the goalpost because we did that. And that guy was a sub 50% passer in college in, in Bowler. So, yeah. You know, with Alan, one of the things you've got to also get to the bottom of is- he doesn't seem like he has a real innate feel for playing the position. And part of that might be just like a lack of reps over time. But you've got to decide, can that be developed? Can we, you know, the mechanics is one thing. Can we fix his footwork and can we fix how he reads through progression, et cetera? But is there, you know, and I hate to say the it factor because it's not tangible, but does he have a feel for playing the position that the greats have? Yeah, and I think that's, if anything, Rosen and maybe Mayfield are kind of leading the factor. Rosen definitely, like in terms of just being a polished, like another football NFL draft where cliche, but just, as you said, the it factor, the innate feel, whatever, Rosen seems to lead the pack probably by a substantial margin, honestly, in that particular area, which is probably coupled with the way the beautiful way he delivers the ball. Like it just, uh, that's why, you know, he's so tantalizing all the other fun stuff notwithstanding. Yeah, it, it, the conversation with all four of these guys, and even if you go down to Lamar Jackson, who I think is just, he's in a different kind of conversation, but it's, it's all about where's their floor and where's their ceiling. And the guy with the boat, best combination of the two, I mean, you have to say is Sam Darnold. Yeah. Um, are you concerned a little bit about the wonky windup and the, the elongated delivery or anything like that? You know, I remember back to 2004 when Rivers came out and he had that funky throwing motion and yeah. people said it would never work and, I don't think you can get these guys to ultimately change their throwing motion because when they get into the heat of battle, they're going to revert to whatever they're comfortable with. Is it an issue? Uh, potentially. But, you know, I think that he's, you know, I think that if you just watch some of the, some of the tapes, some of the Penn State game and a couple of the games this year, you don't see it be a huge issue. I think one of my, one of my concerns, and Eli Manning had this coming out of college and it was really frustrating, was he fumbles the ball a ton. Yep. And so if you're looking at one of those, you know, northeast environments, whether it be Buffalo or Cleveland, where you're going to have some adverse weather, you know, the fumbles will kill you. And he doesn't have the biggest hands, which, you know, there's definitely a correlation between, you know, less than ideal hand size and fumbles. But, you know, besides that, I think he forces the ball a little bit into windows and he tries to do too much. His, his development definitely stalled this year at USC. So I think it was a good decision for him to come out. And, you know, I think these teams sitting atop really have to make a decision on what they think of, if they think he's worth the first overall pick. That's a good, good, good point. Um, one other team, curious, they are another under the radar team because they have a lot of holes and they they drafted a quarterback somewhat curiously last year. But the Chicago Bears at eight, um, 
I think they're kind of hard to put a finger on in terms of what they're going to do. And I feel like they're another team in the top 10 who could dictate what happens afterwards. I feel like they're always a trade-out partner. Or I think Ryan Pace has made several moves in his 10 years as a GM during on draft day, um, notably going from 3-2 to two last year. But uh, you know, there's a, several different directions. I'm curious if, you've, if there's anything, anything you've heard from what, where their head's at. If you look at Trubisky and the way they're modeling kind of the rebuild of the post-Fox era, they're modeling it directly after what the Rams did, bringing in Sean McVay last year and trying to develop their young quarterback. And so it's down to, you know, focusing on finding receivers, building out the offensive line, hiring a great coaching staff. So, you know, they just got their extensions there, Ryan Pace did. So he's definitely tied to Trubisky. But every time I think about a quarterback class that's really strong, I always am reminded that the year that Ben Roethlisberger came out, the year prior, the Jaguars had taken Byron Leftwich. Yep. Because they didn't even do any of their homework on these quarterbacks. I think they ended up taking a wide receiver, Reggie Williams or something like that. Yep. And they passed on Ben Roethlisberger. They didn't even do their homework. And I don't think the Bears are doing homework on these quarterbacks, to be honest. I think they're looking at defensive players and potentially Quentin Nelson. Eight is definitely too rich for any of these wide receivers. This is a really poor wide receiver class, which is part of the reason we're seeing so much interest in these free agents that are out there. But uh, I think ultimately at eight, you said you put it right. You know, they could be a trade down part, trade down guys, because Ryan Pace doesn't have a third round pick after last year's trade. They'd love to recoup that. And uh, but I think defensive player fits in pretty well there. I gotta tell you, as a segue from the wide receiver comment, uh, my wife is an Alabama alum, and we watch a lot of Alabama football in the house as a result of that. And I am not. I'm really underwhelmed. I loved Amari Cooper coming out of college. Thought he was a beast. Couldn't fathom why people would take Kevin White over him. I loved Cooper. And as much as I loved Cooper, that's how much I am lukewarm on Calvin Ridley. Like, I think he's fine. I think he got he suffered a lot from the fact that Jalen Hurts couldn't throw the ball to save his life. But um, I am just I don't see it. Like a top twenty pick, I would I would not want to invest in Calvin Ridley personally. When speaking. I hear people compare compare Calvin Ridley to Marvin Harrison. I just, I scoff. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I thought in that national championship game, his younger brother might be more talented than he is. I agree. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I, I think in my personal, I haven't done as much, you know, in depth on the receivers, but I, I like Cortland Sutton the best, to be completely honest. I think there's a little bit of poor man's Des Bryant, and that's coming from a Redskins fan. But, um, you know, obviously the question's about the, the speed relative to the size. I kind of like him in the spread system, but I don't really like anybody else. I'm very tepid personally on the rest of the guys. So, you know, It's interesting on Cortland Sutton because the question was, can he separate the next level and can he run routes? And one thing that people were really surprised about the combine was he put up some great numbers yeah. in the short area quickness. And, uh, you know, he's a big physical wide receiver, you know, prototype. He doesn't necessarily play physically yet, but he's still learned to play the position. I've kind of... Uh, I kind of gravitated towards DJ Moore from Maryland. I like yeah, DJ. yeah, and he's a big name over here. Obviously, us being you know so close to College Park, and everyone keeps saying. And first, we thought it was Maryland homers. They're like, nah, man, DJ Moore, and like, and it's his name is creeping up. So definitely jumping down to actually the next spot in the draft. Another team I think is really interesting is the 49ers, who now thanks to that coin flip hold the ninth pick. Um, you actually dropped that bit, which is makes all the sense in the world that you know they just signed Richard Sherman. Um, you know, they got a killer Witherspoon that they took, I think, second or third round last year. Kawan Williams in the slot. So they're pretty well set at cornerback. And over the last, you know, first couple of mocks that all of the draft pundits have had, uh, people are putting Denzel Ward from Ohio State or maybe Josh Jackson, you know, from Iowa to there. So now that those guys are, now that the cornerback position probably doesn't make as much sense, any thoughts on what they could do? 
Yeah, the rumors that you're hearing are they're very interested in Harold Landry, which nine might be a little bit rich for him. Yeah. I think that that's the absolute floor for Quentin Nelson. I think they'd even consider moving up for him or potentially moving back. And I think, you know, some of the linebackers might interest them there. But, um, you know, they're definitely a cornerback there. They need a depth, a veteran depth corner who could play behind Witherspoon. And if he struggles, kind of come into a, you know, I guess backup kind of caddy role, a guy like Devon House or somebody that's not too expensive. But then I think in the draft, they'll focus on finding one of those like long corners who fits that system in the mid-rounds. Yeah. Actually, segueing from the 49ers pick in your mock that you'd also posted, which included trades, you actually had the Redskins you mentioned trading up, or the 49ers trading back. Uh, you had the Redskins moving trading up number nine overall to take Roquan Smith, who I love. Um, right now in D.C., all the talk is really focused on the defensive line. Uh, two names that are kind of becoming the hot debate in particular are Deron Payne from Alabama and Vita Vea of Washington, another guy who I absolutely love, the latter. Um, but any insight you might be hearing as far as what the Redskins might be thinking or anything you might have would be awesome. I'm sure a lot of people would appreciate that. You know, I think their defensive front, after investing in Jonathan Allen, the real question on him is that Liz Frank, and yep. can he get back from that? It's, I think you're focusing on a two-down nose tackle is something you do more in the mid-rounds. So some guys I like there are Denzel Ward, Roquan Smith. I think Derwin James would be a great fit on the back end of that defense. I think he's a rare athlete. People were kind of miscasting, saying, oh, he's just a box safety. He's that big physical safety. I think he can do a lot more than that. So I think those guys, Harold Landry, maybe if you're looking for a little bit of edge rush, because I'm certainly not sold on Ryan Anderson. I thought that was a really poor pick in round two. But um, I don't think they're going to be in the market for any. I don't think any value necessarily would be on the offensive side of the ball at 13. Vita Vea is another guy who's really, really a hot debated one in Washington. A lot of people are like, this guy's a beast, you know, big, solid nose tackle with ridiculous off-the-chart strength and athleticism for a guy his size. A lot of people like he's a two-down lineman in a three-down league. Um, what do, what are you, what's your knee-jerk reaction to him? Well, you know, I compare him, he's more athletic, but I compare him a little bit to Danny Shelton, who just got shipped out of Cleveland. I think he's a two-down nose tackle, and people get really excited because he ran down kicks for the Huskies, but... You know, I look at his college stats and his production, and I say, where is it? It's not there. And that concerns me. And, you know, as you said, it's a three down. You've got to make your money on third down. And sub-package defense, you're playing that 60 to 70% of the time. I personally don't have a first-round grade on Vita Vey right now. And, uh, you know, I think he probably ends up going there because people seem to be very high on him. I think I'm definitely in the minority. But, uh, you know, I think those type of run stop, stop, stoppers can be really found anywhere in free agency pretty cheap. Interesting. And that's why a lot of people are more on the Duran Payne question. Again, having watched a lot of Alabama, um, you know, Payne's only question is if you can coach him full time with him in terms of his motor, but in terms of the physical upside, it's as much as you want. So that's why a lot of people are like, A, you know, Payne at 13 is not a bad idea. Although people are very, very excited about the idea of Derwin James falling to 13. I don't think anyone would be objected, um, object to that, but uh, yeah, or trade back to get Payne if you can get him like in the late teens or something. I, I, I think spot on there. I think that, uh, you know, Derwin James will fit really well. Roquan Smith, you know, I think there's the Skins need to add a difference maker on that defense. Cravens hasn't been it. Norman's brought a little bit of an identity, but not much. I think in the front seven, I mean, beyond the two failed for agent signings last year, McLean and the guy they brought over from Oakland. Yeah, they were terrible. They, they got some young talent there. The Greek, Jonathan Allen, and then they've got Lanier. I like Lanier. He's kind of an exciting player. And yep. I think they're out to dinner right now while whining and dying Muhammad Wilkerson, so you know, I think they, they've, got some, uh, they've got some talent up there. I think they need to add some speed. I think they're at the Mortons and Reston, literally, as we're recording this, trying to convince uh, Wilkerson to sign with us or to lock the up Dan the deal. Huh? 
Oh yeah, yeah. He's so we always you know people are like some Redskins fans try to defend. They're like, no, it's not so much in the Vinny Serrato free spending wheeling and dealing days. But we still know how to roll out the red carpet when we want to. Like we we locked Josh Norman in a room and didn't let him out until he was there. Um, until he signed, we did that with Deshaun Jackson, and that's that's this regime. So you know, we still know how to do it. We just don't do it for everyone. Yeah, so not, you guys couldn't figure out a way to lock Kirk Cousins in a room, though. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's that's the <laughs> most that's the most hottest. Obviously, not so any surprise. You know, the biggest lightning rod in all of DC, probably even more than the person in the White House, is the situation with Kirk Cousins. Um, you have a lot of people who are very happy to say, "Don't let you, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you." To be completely honest. Right. So, um, actually, now that we're talking about Kirk Cousins, you know, there's, I think the three or four finalists are there, you know, no surprises. It's pretty well known where those guys are. Um, any thoughts on where he might end up or any intel on what you might, where you, what you've been hearing? Yeah, everybody's saying Minnesota and they're saying he's going to do a, you know, he's a really in-depth guy. I mean, he's like, you know, notebooks and notebooks on teams and schemes, understands how many draft picks people have and their cap space and, yeah, he's going to go to the place that I think he has the best chance to win, and he's a good enough quarterback that that place is going to give him a lot of money. Uh, you know, I think earlier in the process, people thought it'd be Denver, but if you look at Minnesota, that's just a great situation to walk into with John Filippo under Mike Zimmer. They've got talent at wide receiver, pretty good offensive line. Dalvin Cook coming back, and obviously that great defense, nice dome. I think that'd be a great fit for him, and I think that's ultimately probably where he lands. I think people are sleeping on just how much, one, the Vikings – missed Dalvin Cook, although you could make an argument they got to the NFC Championship game, so how much they miss him, but two, how good Dalvin Cook is. I mean, it's, I think he's going to be awesome once he comes back. He looked great in his brief time before he went down with the ACL. So Yeah, I remember last year when he went to the Combine, his three-cone, all of his drills were just terrible. And I was thinking to myself, I've watched him on tape. This kid didn't even put any effort into this because he is he's a great running back. Hopefully he comes back healthy for them because Latavius Murray, he left a little bit to be desired. and looks like their other back, McKinnon's going to walk out the door. But that team, that team's built. They've got probably the most young talent in the league. They're all getting pretty close to free agency. Vikings have never won a Super Bowl. It's kind of now or never, and uh, I always say fortune favors the bold. It's two Pro Bowl caliber, I mean, Pro Bowl receiver and Pro Bowl caliber receiver in Thielen and Adam Diggs. Uh, Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. So, yeah. Segwaying from the free agency, um, you did a really cool free agent projection of a lot of the, pretty much every free agent out there, and where you think a lot of the players might end up. Well, hit on a couple of the ones that you mentioned, particularly for the Redskins, that kind of, you know, caught my attention. Um, The first one is one that was mentioned a lot locally. Um, Paul Richardson, wide receiver from Seattle, he's been linked to the Redskins in a few cases, especially because while... Redskins fans here really, really want Allen Robinson. I don't know that that's realistic. I think he's going to go elsewhere personally. I think you feel the same way. Um, you have Paul Richardson coming to D.C. in your free, age, free agent projection. And I was curious if there's anything besides a fit in the schematics that you might be hearing or you know. He's represented by the same guy that did the Pierre Garçon deal years ago. Um, that agent also has a pretty good relationship with Dan Schneider. And he's not one of the bigger guys who has a huge shop and you know 100 clients. He's got a a boutique agency that's you know, turned into a very good practice. He's got a great relationship with the Redskins. And as you said, it's, it fits schematically. They need some help at wide receiver. And I think he's just starting to tap the surface potential-wise. Yeah, you see a lot of flashes from him. And I think Seattle's passing game is a little bit of, um, you know, Russell Wilson save us. Uh, so, you know, the other, Go ahead. the other thing with, with Richardson's a deep ball guy, right? He gets down the field vertically. And Alex Smith last year showed – Tremendous development for a 33-year-old guy in that phase of his game. And, I mean, he was 
you know, really firing the ball down the field. And, you know, I'm never going to be sold on Josh Doxson. I think he's just too inconsistent. But I think if you pair another guy opposite him, first of all, you'll clear out a lot of the deep zones on that defense and open up stuff underneath for Reed, Davis, and the other guys, Crowder. But, uh, you know, I think that they just they need more speed on offense, too. I think when they lost Chris Thompson last year, that was just a huge blow. Huge. And uh, they can't they can't really count on them coming back 100%. They've got to go out there and add. And, you know, people say it was a little overrated, but I, I don't think you can discount how much losing Deshaun Jackson free agency prior the, in the year prior, how much it hurt. Like, you know, he was such a threat to take it to the house, any single player, just to take the top off the defense on every time he was on the field. And, you know, we didn't have a vertical threat last year. I mean, it was Dotson whenever we ran him, maybe a Maurice Hurst, you know, our sixth, fifth or sixth wide receiver. And that was really about Brian, it. Did he deliver? Or Brian Quick? I mean, you know, yeah, Deshaun Jackson. The Terrell Pryor signing was just, that was a huge flop. And, you know, I think getting the wide receiver core right, or at least addressing it, is definitely a priority. And, you know, now that you don't have a third-round pick and you've got some needs on that defense, and as I said earlier, it's not really a great wide receiver class. Yeah. I think you could jump into free agency. And Richardson is just a great fit. It's, you know, it's a pretty expensive contract. He's not going to be cheap, but, uh, you know, I, I really like his fit in D.C. And a lot of people were criticizing among other things, when they brought in Alex Smith, saying that, well, you know, yeah, he looked great throwing the deep ball last year, but he doesn't have Tyreek Hill here. And I think, to your point, you know, Paul Richardson could solve that in part, being the guy, as you said, you know, take, stretches out the defense, opens up things overall, becomes that deep threat for someone who's showing a more proclivity for throwing the deep ball. Um, another player you had projected to the Redskins who is not generating probably any buzz, and I don't think I've seen anything on him, is Patrick Omame of the Jacksonville Jaguars, who started at ja- for Jacksonville, I think, all of last year at left guard. Um, they were, from what I've read, kind of lukewarm on him, and they weren't terribly broken up to see him go. Um, any any thoughts on you know his fit in D.C. and what you're hearing about that one? Yeah, I think the guard market, you know, we heard Zach Fulton's going to land in Houston today, and these guys are going to get paid, paid, paid pretty well, and you know, Laveo's obviously he's going to be out the door, and behind him you got Kyle Callis. So I kind of like coming out of uh, coming out of Michigan, but I'm not sure he's ready. And you know, solving the interior is definitely going to be a focus. And I think they're going to give Chase Rulier every chance to win that center job, and I think he will win it. But I think adding a veteran presence at left guard would really uh, go a long way. And I know Pro Football Focus doesn't love doesn't love him, but you know, I'm an offensive line guy. If you watch him play, he's physical at the point of attack. He moves guys. Is he a little consistent? Yes, but that's why he's not going to command the type of money that Andrew Norwell is. And so I think you bring him in with a guy like Bill Callahan, yeah. who's an offensive line coach. Maybe he can get a little bit more consistent, and I think it also will help play next to Big Trent Williams. i got to tell you, anything to do, any upgrade over Sean Laval, well, first of all, any upgrade over Sean Laval is not that difficult, but anything to do to move us past the Sean Laval experience, which is he had about half a good season before he went down. I think it was a knee injury a couple of years ago, and otherwise he's just been, I mean, if you count how many times that guy's been put on roller skates for a guy that that's, that's, that's that big and that strong, it's insane. So one last one, and definitely kind of raised my eyebrows because I haven't heard this one anywhere. In fact, frankly speaking, I didn't even realize he was a free agent was Navora Bowman, who is really interesting as an under-the-radar under the radar free, free agent, as I mentioned. But um, the Redskins have a needed inside linebacker, especially because there's a good chance that Zach Brown won't be back, which I'd love to get your thoughts on as well, because I think you've posted some information on that. But bigger concept to that is that Bowman's from the D.C. area. He went to Suitland High School in Forestville over here. So it kind of makes sense, kind of like what Vernon Davis did coming back home. So your thoughts on that? You know, if you look at whether it's Jim Tom Sula or... 
you know, some of the guys they brought over in the past, and you know, they had interest in Vic Fangio. They've been trying to mimic a little bit of what the 49ers used to do defensively. And, uh, you know, I think last year, one of the things about Zach Brown that I always thought was odd was you had Martrell Spate with the green sticker on his helmet calling out the defense. And, yep. And he's a young guy, and, you know, Zach Brown's this, you know, veteran, you know, defensive stalwart. You know, I thought maybe they could use a little bit of leadership in the middle there. Maybe, you know, that would be valuable. You know, I think Bowman, I think he's been a little bit overrated by the media and the pundits, but, you know, I think kind of a coming home story, a scheme that he'd fit really well in. And, you know, if I were him and I was representing him, I'd say, look how late London Fletcher played into his career there. You know, they're patient with their middle linebackers, and I just think it'd be a great fit for him. Yeah, um, you know, I 100% agree with everything. Zach Brown, for as well as he played, he wasn't the sticker guy. Um, I still think they need, like, the true Mike in that defense, whereas you could have a Zach Brown who, you know, played really, really well and inject an element of speed that this defense really didn't have at that position. But he's not, from all accounts, both in the past as well as this year, like he's not a call out the defense, you know, know exactly what the defense is going to, or the offense is going to do before they even do it type of guy. He's just read, react, and blow shit up type of person from that, everything that's I his, see. That's his game. Yeah. Um, wrapping up, any, it's a quick couple of hitters. Um, Another interesting name is kind of percolated a little bit, A.J. McCarron, who is plan C for a lot of teams behind Cousins and Case Keenum. Um, Cleveland's obviously out of the picture, at least presumably with Tyrod Taylor. Uh, you mentioned you know, Denver keeps popping up. I think you mentioned Buffalo. Any thoughts around that? I think Buffalo in the end is going to go a little bit cheaper with the veteran quarterback. Um, you know, the market on McCarron really isn't set yet and will be after Keenum, Cousins, and Breezer off the board. But uh, I, I'm hearing Denver, too, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Jets got involved. There's, just, there's not a lot of tape on A.J. McCarron. That's kind of one of the issues. But, um, you know, he's a quarterback. He's got a pulse, so he'll probably get a lot of money. <laughs> right. So, covered a bunch of stuff. We'll get you out on any anything we're missing, any, like, under-the-radar stuff you want to drop exclusive, you know, anything else that's kind of popped in your head or you've been keeping an eye on? You know, I think uh, the Bills moving up to 12 was the start of a lot of people jockeying to get up for the quarterbacks. And, you know, in that first cluster of six, I said you got the four teams that need quarterbacks. Cleveland, the Giants, I would say it's like quarterback need, but they're definitely looking at it. And then Denver and the Jets. And, and I think these teams are all saying, how do we get ahead of the Jets for sure and potentially ahead of Denver to get one of these four quarterbacks, one of our choice? And so I think if you're sitting there and you're the Jets, you got to say, do we have to go up to get the guy we want? And uh, it's going to be a you know, it's going to be a fun draft because you got all these quarterbacks and a lot of people jockeying for position. And I think that uh, ultimately, I think the Bills go up to two with the Giants. I think somehow they're going to get up there. I think it'll be kind of similar to the way the literally exactly how the Eagles went up, where they say we're comfortable enough to take either Sam Darnold or Josh Allen at two, and whoever Cleveland doesn't take, we'll take the other one. Do you think there was? I don't, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I don't think they're comfortable enough to say let's sit and go up to three or let's go up to four. You know, maybe the Giants would take Darnold, and then we're sitting there without Darnold or Josh Allen, and we've got to, you know, I think they want to be set on, we're going to get one of the two guys we like. And I heard early in the fall for, I mean, that they liked Josh Allen a lot. I also heard that they were kind of interested in Mason Rudolph, but weren't really enamored with him. There was kind of some local connections from, you know, he's a Fort Mill, South Carolina guy, which is where a lot of the Bills guys live. And they kind of had, you know, they knew about him. There was interest, but I think they're kind of moved on from him. And I think Josh Allen's their target. I think they also like Sam Darnold. All right, last question I have for you. This is one that's kind of I'm curious on. Um, Saquon Barkley, you know, went to the combine, just absolutely tore it up, outlifted the linebackers and ran faster than a lot of the DBs and just put up some ungodly numbers. Um, do you fully say, like, he is the generational running back or and that all the numbers dictate the tape is there, or do you feel like we might be overrating him? 
he's a new age running back in the sense that he does it all. You know, yeah. He can catch the ball, he can run, he's great in space. He's better than most college backs in pass protection. He's a great kid off the field by what everyone says. You know, he's, he's got all the the right chips. You know, last year I think the running backs Fournette went four and McCaffrey went eight. That was a bit early for me. I wouldn't personally I wouldn't take a running back in the first round unless I was truly a now team. Now if I was picking like you thirtieth know, and that was my last piece, I might I might go with the running back round one. But you know, I think these teams at top they're too smart and they see what's happening. I mean, you got guys out in free agency you, you can't get paid, the Carlos Hydes of the world and yeah. Isaiah Crowell. And if I'm Cleveland or really any team picking up there in the top five I'd say to myself, I can just sit and wait. And then in round two or round three, I think right atop the round two, you'll have Darius Geis and Ronald Jones. Maybe round three, you'll have you know Nick Chubb. And So the question is, would you rather get a guy like uh, Bradley Chubb, Quentin Nelson, Tremaine Edmonds, Roquan Smith, et cetera, or take the running back? And I think this is where, you know, looking at boards horizontally and seeing how you rate guys and kind of how they fall into the rounds, you're going to see you have backs, you know, with pretty high grades in round three and the Mark Waltons of the world, Nyham Hines. There's backs to be found everywhere. Last year, Camara went 67. You know, the rushing champion, uh, Kareem Hunt, was in the 90s. So I think teams are smart, and they realize that, you know, even if there's not premium position players at the top, there's not – besides Bradley Chubb, there's not the pass rushers. There's no left tackles. You know, there's the quarterbacks. And I think people will either take the quarterback – or go with a defensive player, Nelson. So I could, I could see Saquon Barkley falling. The, the only, and I, I really kind of dovetail this, is how important is it for Cleveland to bring Buzz back to their fan base? Because the fan base is clamoring for Saquon Barkley. And does John Dorsey, does he give in and say, okay, we'll take Saquon Barkley. He could be our version of Le'Veon Bell. Todd Haley can run the offense through him. And I think that there, there's that potential. And, you can't deny he's going to sell jerseys. He's going to bring buzz and excitement. And he's kind of a short, short-term ingestion of energy into your organization. And, you know, we'll look back 10 years from now, and a lot of these quarterbacks will still be playing, still be producing at a high level, and he'll probably be out of the league. But in 10 years, does it really matter? Yeah. Jimmy Haslam's got a loud voice. We know he, he's not afraid of influencing picks. See Johnny Manziel. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, Chad, Fantastic stuff. Thank you so much for your time. Um, please, everyone, if you've gotten this far, make sure you follow Chad at NFL Draft Bites. We'll make sure we link to him in the blog, but literally as it sounds, at NFL Draft Bites. Once again, Chad, thank you so much for your time. Um, we look, hopefully get to talk to you a little more as draft season goes on. That sounds great, Rod. Thank you very Take much. Take care, man. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the Hail to the District podcast. If you haven't done so already, please make sure you follow us on iTunes or subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, and leave us some feedback. But until then, we will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to the Hail to the District podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts.